0: This is SLAS Technology Podcast. I'm David Pector. And we today are going to be talking about a interesting special issue, the Internet of Things in the Life Science Laboratory. We're joined by the editor of that special issue, Jay Gill, longtime technology expert, otherwise known as a geek, and someone who's always looked at emerging technologies and how they can be applied in the life science laboratory. Welcome to SLIS Technology Podcast. Thanks, David. So this is quite an extensive issue. Many articles. And you know in some ways it reminds me of earlier days, you know, where a lot of innovation, a lot of hands on stuff. Tell us about the issue and some of the exciting articles.
1: Well I think you hit the nail on the head that we are really at the very beginning of The impact of Internet of Things throughout our culture and throughout the world, but especially in our laboratories. And the community as a whole feels very comfortable with that. And it was shown by when we put the call of papers out that we immediately got a ton of papers. So people are actively involved in the community. They see the opportunities and they've contributed a lot of really unique and diverse papers, everything from a more traditional use of using small microcomputers to measure function through development of voice-activated laboratories.
0: So how do you define Internet of Things?
1: Well, Internet of Things has been growing for a number of years, maybe 20 or 30. I think the first time I came across it was the MIT Media Lab, where they published a book called When Things Start to Think. Hmm. And it's been driven by... The ability to build a lot of capability into a very small microchip and the development of microcomputers, which are really, I see them as the entire computer embedded in a single chip. And so that allows us to put the processing capability of a microcomputer pretty much wherever we want. And as people began to use these, they began to connect sensors to them and that allowed them to be able to react to the environment. And so over time, we've started to see more and more of this interaction. So your car now senses lanes and senses things in front of you. That would be an internet of things. Or your car company probably collects data from your car or certainly from their test cars and are able to make predictions about how that car is performing and how long it'll perform. Your refrigerator typically can have an Internet of Things device in it to monitor door opening and closing and how well your freezer is doing. And eventually, not quite yet, but eventually we'll start seeing refrigerators that when you put stuff in them, they'll realize what's there. And when you ask your kitchen what you want for dinner or tell your kitchen what you want for dinner, it can query the refrigerator and say, hey, refrigerator, what's in you? And because of, say, barcode sensing or RFID and knowledge of product number, the refrigerator will be able to say, well, you have this, 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 and this, so you can definitely make So really the Internet of Things for me is the ability to embed processing power and communication and sensors into a small footprint and then embed that in something where that capability would be useful.
0: And the articles dig into just those kind of applications. And I understand there was a workshop at the 2018 SLAS, and there's going to be another short course at 2019 in Washington, D.C. on Internet of Things. Are you involved with that?
1: Yes, I'm a co-professor of that course or co-instructor of that course. The other is Eric Werner. I lead the introductory and sort of more philosophical and general approaches concept, and Eric leads the hands-on concept. We felt it was important to have a hands-on portion because one of the interesting things about the Internet of Things is it grew up in sort of the millennial way of doing things. And so one of the large Internet of Things communities called the Maker Group or the Maker Movement. And their credo is that if I can't fix it, I don't own it. And so they've gone off a lot of different cases, and and one of those is Internet of Things. And so there's a very, very active community of people using these tools. One of the key or standard microprocessors that you can buy is the Arduino, and that's the one our course is based around. And that was originally developed actually for artists. The idea was to make an environment where you could use automation and animation and where you could use robotics and kinematics in the creation of an artwork.
0: I didn't know that. Interesting. Oh, well, that's a good place to start, especially for these kind of small, self-aware instruments, so where you don't need a lot of computing, but a little goes a long way. This is very interesting stuff, and it sounds like you've kind of caught the imagination of people. and. With the upcoming short course, I think people should look into this issue because it sounds like it's going to be a great introduction and a engagement to pull people into this doing themselves, really, yeah. making the I mean, doing themselves, which is what it's about, I think.
1: Well, exactly. And, and you know, for me, it, it's very much like 3D printing. This, there was a special issue several months ago on 3D printing it really returns us back to the, I, I, I personally would say, the golden age of science where the scientists were responsible not only for the experiments, but also often for the technology that led to
0: the yeah, yeah, right. And you have so, to blow your own glassware, that kind of thing.
1: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, Great, that's,
0: yeah, it's that's interesting because 3D printing is a little bit like that.
1: Exactly. Uh, and I think the Internet of Things and the microprocessors and sensors allow scientists or maybe a better way to say it is we no longer have an excuse to say, I can't get that from a manufacturer, therefore I can't do it. And I don't want to say that the manufacturers don't have a a large play in this, because they do. But what it means is that I can try something out in my lab at very little cost, and by very little cost I mean less than $100, and test something. And if it does work and I need to scale it up, or it may be valuable for other labs. At that point, the manufacturers can come in and do what they do best, which is you know, the formal design engineering, if it needs a custom chip, a custom chip, scale up to make hundreds and thousands, not ones and twos, and things like that.
0: Well, I want to thank you for joining us, Jay, on SLAS Technology Podcast. <laughs>